Hey guys, welcome to the Dragon's Voice podcast and I am your host truly Reese Deans and I'm glad you guys have just joined in. If you are following us on the Dragon's Voice podcast, make sure you like, share and subscribe our videos and hopefully then if we get to uh, episode 50, even though uh, we're only on episode 19 of this particular recording and if it goes somewhere, then I'm going somewhere and I'll be very happy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, it's it's a completely different episode today. Uh, I wanted to move away from the Cardiff and former Swansea City players because I know uh, it's nothing against the uh, the guys who have played for these fantastic clubs. It's just that it will probably for other people who live around in Wales, particularly in Wrexham, and the people from Wrexham, this is a treat for me to you. Uh, I've got this uh, very exciting guest on the show, a former Wrexham player, a former Liverpool player, Tramier Rovers. Uh, he's played for Wales twice. And he is none other than Mr. Lee Jones. Lee, how's it going, buddy? I'm very good. How are you? You okay? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Just just chuffing along, really. Just trying to get some guests left, right, and centre. So I'm glad I got you on here because I could talk about Wrexham. I, I actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. But uh, with Wrexham, I always wanted to start off uh, with Wrexham Football Club. Is that? Um, I know I say this on the podcast a lot, and uh, you, I, I don't know if you have caught any of my episodes recently, but I've always said i got a soft spot for this particular football team or that football team. I've always said that. But Wrexham, it seems to be in my top five football clubs that I actually generally like. Uh, generally yeah. do favour and check out their scores and that. Um, but for you, it's your hometown. It's your hometown club. It's, it's basically your home <laughs> no, 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 no wonder why. But uh, for you, when you um, when you grew up in in Wrexham, uh, of course, did you follow them or did you support another team? But what what was yeah, this? I mean, yeah, obviously the, the club's very close to my heart. I yeah, I used to live probably about a quarter of a mile away from the football ground. It was a club that I first the first game that uh, my dad actually took me to was uh, a game against Shrewsbury Town. Uh, my dad was, is from Shrewsbury, uh, so he took me to a, a Wrexham game against Shrewsbury Town, and I remember being sat as it was then in the border stand with the away fans, uh, with Shrewsbury Town fans, and I'm thinking, even at such a young age, why am I in this stand? I just wanted to be at the other end in the cop where all the noise was being made. Uh, and I think Wrexham won on the day 1 0, which uh, obviously. It was as a, as a game that uh, I'd first been to, the, the first sort of look at the racecourse stadium, you know, obviously from playing in, in park pitches or on park pitches and stuff like that, it was just a great feeling. I think I would have probably been about seven or eight at the time. And just from then, obviously, you know, being a Wrexham boy, it was just always my ambition to play for the football club. And... With with that in mind, you know, Wrexham Football Club have had some tremendous players, you know, going back in history. Two of them in particular, which you go on to play with, is yeah. Joey Jones and Mickey Thomas. How important yeah. were those two players for Wrexham? Oh, they're, they're, well, to me, uh, Joey Jones is like a second father to me. Uh, the advice he gave me, the sort of protection he gave me when I was on the pitch uh, was, was second to none. Uh, Mickey sort of came when I was an apprentice. It was sort of the, the end of, of Mickey's uh, sort of career, if you like, or coming to the end of it. We all know what he did, obviously, in the, the FA Cup run against Arsenal. But again, a really big influence, you know. He, he would be uh, great around the changing rooms. Yeah, he's had his misdemeanours and stuff, the same as everybody. But, I mean, his experience, you know, the clubs he's played for, 
it was just invaluable. I mean, we were we were coming through myself, Bill Hardy, Gareth Owen, Wayne Phillips, you know, Stevie Watkins. We were all youngsters, and it was just unbelievable to be given an opportunity. But also have the likes of Joey, Mickey Thomas. We had Gordon Davis, who was a seasoned Welsh international. We had Vince O'Keefe in goal. So they were like the four really main guys with experience. And without them four, I don't think any of us would have succeeded. I've got to be honest. Yeah, because in the, uh, I mean, you had, um, at the start of your, um, when you went uh, to play for Wrexham at the beginning of your career, I mean, every time we speak to, I mean, I, do, I know only a handful of Wrexham supporters because obviously Wrexham is the it's north team in Flintshire and I'm from Barry, so it's all South Wales or Villa, Morgan, whatever you want to call it. But, mm-hmm. um, but the people, you know, especially Cardiff City supporters who I talk to, they all, they've always said, you know, uh, Wrexham have always held their own in the early 90s and the, uh, well, in the 90s yeah. area. And especially under Brian Flynn as well. I mean... Yeah. How, what was he like? How, how much of an influence? Yeah, Brian was unbelievable and, and, and I owe Brian everything, you know. I mean, I look back at my time when I first started at Wrexham, you know, obviously I mentioned there Joey, uh, Gordon Davis, Mickey, Vince O'Keefe, but the be-all and end-all was Brian Flynn. You know, if Brian Flynn didn't have the sort of bottle, if you like, to throw in the youngsters, then, you know, we probably wouldn't have had careers in the game. We, we, well, we would have had careers, but probably not successful, you know, Brian Flynn gave you the belief, even uh, when I broke into the team at 17, you know, I don't know any manager now that would throw a 17-year-old into a European Cup Winners' Cup tie against Man United, having never, ever even played a league game. But Brian Flynn, he did that with me, and, and he's done the same with other players, you know, and it was just his belief in the, in the youngsters, and obviously culminating with Joey on the pitch, you know, it, it was just, it was a fantastic team to play for. You know, it was, it was obviously it made it more special because it was my hometown club. But you just, every time I went on the pitch and played under Brian Flynn, I just thought to myself, he'd make me feel like I was the best player in the world. I knew I wasn't and I was, and I was a million miles from ever being that. But you just got that belief. Every time I went on the pitch with Brian or for Brian and with Joey and with Mickey, you just felt that, you know, you were playing for someone really special. And it, it, as well, with because uh, it's very important that in the early 1990s, you know, uh, it, it's 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 always been spoken about in today's football, whether it's uh, English league or football uh, in the football league, English league or the Welsh league, and anything like that. But um, a, a pivotal moment in Wrexham's history was in that FA Cup run against uh, Arsenal. Um, when yeah, Wrexham beat uh, Arsenal 2-1, I think, and Mickey Thomas was one of the goal yeah. scorers. Um, did you play in that game? or I didn't, know. I mean, people obviously look at that year as it being pivotal, pivotal for the football club. But I think it was the year before. I mean, obviously, uh, we had the, the, the sort of thing over us that no matter if we finished bottom of the league, we couldn't be relegated. And that was the year that, that sort of Brian Flynn had given all the young lads opportunities. And then obviously we had the season where we had the FA Cup run. Uh, we obviously went on and beat Arsenal. I didn't play in that. I got injured playing in a, a first team game against Hereford, I think it was on the Boxing Day. So I was unfortunately missing out. But I remember sitting next to Mel Pedrick in the stands and we were 1-0 down and, and we were talking at half-time and we, we were looking at it and thinking we, we could end up 8 or 9-0 and it could get really embarrassing. Because they just absolutely 
dominated us and battered us for 45 minutes and then come out second half and it was just I think we, we had an attack and it just felt like the whole ground had belief then that hold on we could actually do something then Mickey goes and puts the, the free kick in and, and I'm looking at Mel and thinking oh my god I'm going to be fit for the next I could be fit for the replay and I'm thinking oh playing at Highbury unbelievable and then obviously Stevie goes and, and scores a winner and it's like it was it was just and, and even to this day it was probably the best feeling I've ever had as a, as a player as a, as a fan as a supporter you know I've, I've played for Wales twice but nothing sort of eclipses that feeling of when Stevie scored that goal and then obviously the scenes after the after the game we finished 92nd they were the league champions and I, I still believe it's the biggest cup upset in history you know there's, there are, there's obviously been other games since then but you look at that there was just it, the the gulf between the two teams couldn't be any wider but you know it was again it was just one of them where were you on that day sort of moments and it, it was fantastic yeah I, I, I always wanted to ask this question um, to any Wrexham fan or a Wrexham player or whoever played that day. Um, why is it that people remember Mickey Thomas's goal? It may be because it was a free kick or something, but why do yeah. they remember Mickey Thomas's goal instead of the winner? Because you would imagine the winner goal would be the most memorable, if you know what I mean. It's like I, uh, just before you answer, it's like I asked Kevin Ratcliffe when, when he came on the, the, the show, I always ask him about the semi-finals of the European Cup Winners' Cup against Bayern Munich, but yeah. even though they got to the final and won it, but why would they remember the semi-final instead of uh, the final itself? So, yeah. what, what do you know any reason? or? I, to be honest, the only thing I can think of, it was just one of them free kicks that the only place Mickey could have scored was in the actual spot he hit it. It was absolutely right in the postage stamp. It was, and I think if you'd have put two goalkeepers in, they wouldn't have saved it. I think if Mickey scores a tap in from a corner, then it isn't obviously recognised as much. And I think then the emphasis swings onto Stevie's goal. But uh, you look at the two goals in terms of technique. Obviously, Mickey's was fantastic, but in terms of obviously from me playing up front. The anticipation that Stevie showed in thinking that I think it was Tony Adams was going to miss kick the ball. If he hadn't showed that anticipation, he wouldn't have scored because his next step out Tony Adams would have cleared it. But obviously, he slid in and he's put it past David Seaman, and, and the rest is history, as I say. I mean, for me, yeah, everyone looked at Mickey's goal and, and what goal it was. But I think, yeah, you're right. I don't think Stevie gets the credit or the sort of recognition that he should get. He certainly does from us. And from the other players, because we're obviously still in a group chat and stuff, and you know we have a laugh and a joke about things like that. Uh, but I mean, you know, he, and you'll always get that recognition. And yeah, it is a little bit sort of gutting, I suppose, for Stevie. But I got to be honest, he's that type of lad that it wouldn't bother him one job. You know, he he's, he wouldn't be bothered about that. Yeah, I mean, it, like you said, I mean, you, the the, the scoreline just says it all two one, and yeah. you're through to the next round anyway. And to say that you were part of it anyway, I think it's another way of just saying, yeah. look, I, I was there. I, I know what it was, yeah. and yeah. Um, it's like um, it's like any other professional footballer. Probably, it's just it's your line of duty. It's, it's your work. You're supposed yeah. to score a goal, you know. So of course it is. Yeah, as, and as I say, the occasion was just. I mean, it was a full house. Probably the only time that in the in I don't know two or three seasons that. It, and it was absolutely rocking and no one expected us to win and, and obviously you know we went and got the result and then we went on and, and played against West Ham 
uh, in the next round. Mm. Unfortunately, we got knocked out in the replay of that. So, but yeah, it was it was good times. Um, speaking of uh, Jerry Jones and Mickey Thomas, um, I I I I feel like you're familiar with this particular person, the bootlegger. Um, <laughs> the the yeah. captain baby. I love to have him. Oh, yeah. But um, oh, he's uh, he's a good mate of mine. To be fair, oh, is he? Uh, <laughs> I had a plank with him a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, we have a we have a laugh and a joke. I sent. I, I don't know whether you've seen one of his uh, things he put on Twitter the other week when he, he mentioned something about. He said, I, "I won't name his name." He said, "But he sent me a load of horses that didn't win." That was me. So uh, I was in bad books for a couple of days, but I, I, listen, he, he's, he's a great... I first come across him when Wrexham were playing in a game away at Hyde United in the in the conference many years ago. And uh, we sort of kept in touch and I sort of, whenever I could, give him some tickets for games and stuff like that. And, and we still sort of keep in touch by a text. And I, I had a pint with him couple of weeks ago so oh great character yeah no I absolutely love it because he started his podcast he had Mickey Thomas and but the yeah. thing is so it's such a feel good you know uh, for to just to hear the I, I always call him the captain because that's why he yeah. always calls him yeah. but uh, yeah. but it's like um, the, the captain always on Twitter or anything he just seems to lighten you up makes your day yeah. and I mean you, you can be having, I mean I obviously I follow him on Twitter and stuff and uh, yeah, you're right. You can be having a down day, and, and he'll just come up with a comment, and you you just start laughing, you know. And as I say, I I, I had a had a drink with him a couple of weeks ago, and his good pal was there. Irish Marty was there with him, and I I, I only intended just to go there for about twenty minutes, but I was there for about two hours, and uh, they're, they're great company. But yeah, really down to earth guy, humble guy. And uh, you know, loves Wrexham Football Club. Just wants the club to do well. And you know, he's he's a typical Wrexham lad. You know, similar to myself. You know, got similar interests. And yeah, he's great. Yeah. Um, like I said, when you think of him, I just thought just funny thing. Now I just can't help but laugh because he's just pure brilliant. But uh, they mentioned Jerry Jones, and then we we mentioned Jerry Jones earlier. But um, I, I want to go into it a bit more about the man himself because me being a twenty four year old who probably you know should know more about Jerry Jones than anyone yeah. should because he's a Welsh legend, not just yeah. a Welsh one. He is a legend who's won a European Cup. He's played for Wrexham, God knows how many times. He is mixed. He is Mister Wrexham. If yeah. He is, he, he is everything that Wrexham Football Club is, in my opinion. And as I say, I was fortunate enough earlier on in my career, sort of the back end of Joey's career, to play alongside him. And you just felt, every time I went on the pitch, you just felt that you've got that security of behind you because he was just one of them that, if anyone sort of laid a glove on you in terms of the youngsters, he'd be straight over. Uh, you know, and, and his words of advice and stuff, I mean... I'll never forget the time, and, and as I said before, I owe a lot to Joey. You know, he was like a second dad to me. Certainly, when I first made the sort of transition from uh, from Wrexham to Liverpool. So for the first, you know, couple of months at Liverpool, and you know, I've been open and honest about it to many people. I absolutely hated my time at Liverpool. Just didn't feel that I was good enough to be there, and I didn't really fit in. And what I tended to do was I would train in the morning. I'd drive straight back to the race course in the afternoon and I would just be with the lads all afternoon at Wrexham until they got off at around four or five o'clock. And that would be my cycle every single day. And after about three or four weeks, Joey 
got me into into the office. And as I say, I wasn't a Wrexham player, and he didn't need to do it. And he said, listen, he said, I just want to give you a bit of advice. He said, you've left Wrexham Football Club now. He said, you need to build on your career and you need to put everything into Liverpool. He said, now, instead of coming back and being with the lads, which is great, and he said, I haven't got a problem with it. He said, you should be doing everything you can to break into Liverpool's reserve team and then first team. He said, so instead of coming back in the afternoons, he said, do a little bit extra in training. And I was and I was thinking to myself, oh, right, okay. And it wasn't the fact that he didn't want me there, but it was the fact that he'd obviously been there before at Liverpool. He knew what it was like. And, and obviously I'll I'll come on to that after and, and talk about that. But I mean, just little things like that, you know. It was it was just pieces of advice. And it was literally a minute conversation. And I left Repsom that day, got in the car and thought, you know what? I couldn't have got that advice from anyone. He's been there. He's a European Cup winner. He was the record holder at the time for the Welsh Caps, you know, and he was just, as I say, an all-round humble, great guy who I owe a hell of a lot to. Yeah, it's from one Jones to another. And he wanted what's best for you as well, you know. It's yeah. like, yeah. yeah. He, he wasn't interested in anything that was going on for himself. He just said to me, Lee, he said, you need to concentrate on being a Liverpool footballer. He said, I've been there. I know what it's like. I come from a council estate in Landidno. It was a massive step up for me. I felt I didn't belong there. And it was exactly my feelings when I was telling him and talking to him were exactly the feelings that he had when he went to Liverpool. So he'd already been there. And as I say, he could have just said, just or he could have just watched me keep coming back into to, to Wrexham every day. But he didn't. He took two minutes out of his time. But he would be the same now, you know, if, if I did something today and... He thought I could maybe do it better. I know that I could pick the phone up and I could ask him. You know, yeah. he's, he's always on the end of the phone. I spoke to him last week, actually, and, you know, we started laughing a joke and stuff. But he's just one of them people that is the most humble guy I've ever met. I've got to be honest, he's yeah. unbelievable. He's one of the top 10 people I love to speak to as well on the ah. top 10. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to know so much from him as well, not just from yeah. Liverpool or Chelsea, just from Wrexham alone. Some of the stories, I mean, if you've ever been to, I don't know if you've ever been to his sort of evening speaking that he used to do with Mickey Thomas and some of the stories they come out with, you know, obviously playing in the dark, taking penalties at Stamford Bridge, climbing the floodlights, sleeping on the physio beds, all that kind of stuff, you know. It's just, I could listen to him all day. It's, it's fantastic. Would you do a podcast with me then? Would you think? Or... Oh, sure. He would. Joey would definitely he'd do anything that you asked him to, Joey. Yeah, of course he would. Oh, from that, we'll, uh, we'll sort that out later Later, have this yeah, podcast. Yeah. But um, on to Liverpool now. And uh, yeah. between you and I, and I this, it's, it's a worst kept secret. I am not a Liverpool fan. I am, well, I say Kevin Ratcliffe. I am, yeah. I am Everton. Um, <laughs> my, well, I, I'm Barry. I, I'll say this now very quickly. I am a Barry town. I'm a local supporter. But growing up, I am Everton. Um, my, dad was a, my dad's a big Everton fan. And... But for you, you went on to play for <laughs> no, and went on to play, play for Liverpool. Um, yeah. And you, I, I, I did look in, and uh, I was really intrigued that you did not enjoy your time in the first few months uh, at at the club. Yeah. Um, but do you know when you started to get into it, did anyone, um, did anyone at the club just sort of took you in to say, look, you, you'll be fine, it'll be okay, or did anyone? Yeah, you know, I mean, it was it was difficult for me because I, I I'd obviously I'd only played probably fifteen or twenty games at, at Wrexham. And the sort of 
dynamic of the Wrexham changing room was a load of youngsters with three or four older players. And I walked into Liverpool on the first day and I went straight into the first team. We used to get changed at Anfield and then get the bus down to Melwood the first sort of 18 months I was there. And I walked in that day and I was basically told to sit in this place. I got in there, it was nine o'clock, whatever it was. All the first team players came in at sort of half past nine. And I'm sat in between uh, Ronnie Whelan and Ian Rush. And obviously Ian Rush knew I was obviously transferred from Wrexham. And then obviously he was speaking to me about what it was like at Wrexham and this and that. And he said, listen, you'll be fine here. It'll take you a bit of time to settle in. He said, I've obviously made the same transition from when I was at Chester. He said, but you've just got to be yourself and just work as hard as you can every single day. And, and that was the general sort of conversation I had with all the players. They all sort of accepted me. But at the same time, I'm looking around the change room and I'm, I'm looking at Bruce Grobelar, I'm looking at Ronnie Whelan, at Ray Houghton, at Dean Saunders, Ian Rush, and I'm just thinking I shouldn't be here. And, and that was, you know, my first day, I couldn't wait to get out of the place. I remember going training. I trained with the reserves and I remember couldn't get in the car quick enough and I couldn't get out of Melwood quick enough. Couldn't get back to Anfield quick enough and get home because I just thought, and I actually thought when I was driving home, I thought, what have I done? I just thought I've made a massive mistake because it was just basically being thrown into a club which had this massive sort of aura about it, European, you know, and, and you've got to remember, I went there in 92, 70s and 80s, that Liverpool won everything. They yeah. won European Cups, they won leagues, they won FA Cups. It was intimidating. And it was just, yeah, and I, and I was totally out of my depth. But as time went on, and again, after probably six months, I would say, of being sort of, not homesick, but just the fact that I thought I, shouldn't, I don't belong here, I actually started enjoying it because I was sort of working hard in training. I'd step up now and again and train with the first team. But it was mainly, I was just basically playing for the reserves every week. So I'd gone from playing in the first team at Wrexham to playing in a reserve team. But the difference was, I'd be playing in front of 2,500 fans at Wrexham. My first game that I played for Liverpool's reserves was at Anfield on a Saturday lunchtime and playing it actually against Everton and there was 38,000 there. And I'm just thinking, what is going on with this club? 38,000 people turning up for a reserve game. So it was a little bit of, well, it was a big eye-opener. Uh, but as I say, as soon as I'd got over the first six months, then obviously I started enjoying it. I'd settled in, I'd made a few friends there and... I wouldn't change it for the world, to be honest. You know, loads of people have said, well, you only made five appearances at Liverpool in five years. Yeah, I did. But I learned more in that five years than many people would learn in probably a career of about 25, 30 years. So it was it was just an experience. And, you know, obviously you see the best, you go, go to the best hotels, you stay in the best countries you go pre-season you go end of season it was just it was it was a different different world what had happened with the injury then it it, it said when i was doing the research that you broke two of your legs so i i was wondering i, I looked at it and went how how yeah. did it but, I, but it just kept saying you, you, you broke two of your legs and there was no 
answer to that. Well, I, I mean, I got to be honest. That that information isn't really correct. I mean, uh, I, I I had when I when I first went there within sort of I think it was three or four months. I'd had an Achilles injury, so I needed an operation on my Achilles. So I think I I went there in February, March, and then in July, August, I needed an operation on my Achilles. Uh, that was in '92. And then in 90, no, tell a lie, that was in 91, 92. And then I remember coming back from that. And then on, and I, I still remember the date to this day, which was the 2nd of December. I was playing at Anfield in a reserve game against Sunderland, and I'd scored two in the first five minutes. And it was a centre half playing for Sunderland. I won't name his name. But he said after five minutes, he said, listen, son, next time you get the ball, I'm going to break the leg. So I was like, yeah, well, okay, whatever, like that. And literally two minutes after he broke my leg, just below my knee. So I was out for six months with a broken leg. So that was that was sort of 90. So within sort of six months of being at Liverpool, I tore my Achilles, come back from that, and then broken my leg. And then as my career sort of developed in 94, I tore my thigh muscle, literally came off the bone. So I had to have that fused back on, which back in the day was quite bad if you like it's not like injuries that you can sort of recover from now so that since since I had my injury in 94 I wasn't then able throughout the rest of my career which was probably until I finished in 2005 never be able to do any shooting in terms of repetitive because it was just every time I knew if I did more shooting for more than five or ten minutes I knew that it would probably pull again so I had that problem. I had ruptured hamstrings on both legs, similar to the Michael Owen injury when he went through against Leeds. So I'd had probably in five years, six really bad injuries in terms of what people think that I broke the other leg. I didn't actually break the leg, but I had a small fracture in the same place that I had my previous injury when I did actually break it, but it wasn't actually a broken, another broken leg. So you could look at it and say, well, within five years, you've had five or six in really bad injuries. Most players don't get one. I had six in five years. So it did sort of hinder the amount of game time that I played. And it was just, I felt that every time that I was getting close to maybe getting in the first team, something would stop me like, like an injury. So, you know, you, you look at it and would, could I have done anything different? Probably. Would I do anything different to change it? Not really. So it is what it is. After um, you've recovered from the injuries, because from six um, injuries, you know, mm -hmm. from God knows what, um, some players would say, uh, or some people would say, you know, that that's it. Career's done if you're having so many injuries. But yeah. you managed to get yourself back into the game, you know, and uh, yeah. and you got the call up for Wales. That's what I want to call up, uh, go on to now. The call up for Wales. Yeah. It was in uh, '97 or something like that on the senior side. And yeah, uh, but Bobby right. Gold, Bobby, Bobby Gold's uh, Wales, <laughs> you're not the only one. I mean, it seems to be a habit now. Every time I seem to get players or guests on it, they just yeah. happen to, it happens to be that I get players that have played under uh, <laughs> Bobby Gold the most. I mean, I've spoken to Steve Jenkins, Andy Legg, uh, yeah. I've spoken to uh, Ryan Green, you know, yeah. and it's all Bobby, Bobby Gold. Bobby um, Gold. But, yeah. but for you, playing for Wales is playing for your country. Yeah. Wait, what, how did you feel when you got the call up and what was the experience like? 
Yeah, well, the first, I remember the first game that I played was, was an end, I think it was towards the end of the season. We played up in Scotland uh, at Kilmarnock's ground. And uh, obviously we were, we'd stayed there for a couple of days prior to, I was rooming with, with John Hartson. And, uh, and we played the game and, and the last sort of five minutes, Bobby said, go and get warmed up. Go and get warmed up. I came on with about literally five minutes left. And then my first touch of the ball, I hit a shot from about 20, 25 yards, hit the inside of the post, went across the goal and goes out. Uh, comes back out. And I'm thinking, oh, if that had gone in, then I might have got another chance. But then I think it was, I'd then gone to, uh, no, I think I was still at Liverpool at the time. And I got my second call up and it was uh, Holland away. And I was thinking to myself, right, okay, uh, Holland away. They were absolutely flying at the time with all legends of the game, Bergkamp, you know, Seydorf, Davids, you name it. And I actually, because I got called up late, I, I, they think they met up on the Saturday and I didn't get called up until the Monday. So I remember, I remember going into uh, Roy Evans's office and he, he said, listen, you've been called up for Wales. They need you to fly out today. So went home, got my bags, got to the airport, checked in. They said, your tickets here, got my tickets. Went into the actual terminal and looked out of what I thought was where my plane was and I couldn't see it. And I thought, oh, I've missed the plane. And there was a guy sat waiting as well. And I said, oh, I said, is, this, is there a plane going to Eindhoven? He said, oh yeah, he said, it's via Rotterdam. I said, oh, right, where is it? And he said, oh, it's down there. And I actually looked over the window and it was an eight-seater plane. And I'm thinking, I'm not getting on that. I said, oh, that can't be safe. He said, oh, that's fine. So we literally, I literally flew over, went over to Eindhoven, went over to Rotterdam, into Eindhoven, and it was the worst experience I've ever had in my life. I thought, that's it, I'm, I'm dead, because it was just the plane was all over the place, pouring down with rain, wind, you name it, and it, we were just like a matchbox being flung everywhere. We then get into Eindhoven, get into the hotel, trained, and I'll never forget the game. We got beat 7-1. I was going to say, it's not that 7-1. Oh. We got beat 7-1, and I've got to be honest, it was the best goalkeeping performance I've ever seen from a goalkeeper of Never Southall. If Never wouldn't have played that night, I think, we, I think it would have been the biggest defeat in the history of football ever. I think, I think they could have scored 20 wasn't that we were that bad because we had like to speed. I think Billy Jones was involved that night. He was captain that game as well. Yeah, and I mean some of the the sort of stuff you know leading up to the game, uh, some of the things that were said that Holland aren't this good and and or, and they put seven past us and it could have been it could have been twenty and a half me, but never was unbelievable, you know. And again, another legend of Welsh football, I suppose. Yeah, with, with that, uh, let's go into that game then, because you, you know uh, a lot of Wales fans have always said it was a disgrace. It, a lot of a lot of things were said. Uh, they said it yeah. was this, it was that, it was a disgrace, it was shambolic. Uh, there was a lot of questions on Vinnie Jones being made captain. Um, yeah. But for you personally, because you were there, yeah. Um, I've always wanted to know what was the reaction from 
A, Vinnie Jones being captain, because I think yeah. that was the first and only time he was made captain. Yeah. What was the reaction from Neville Southall being the keeper? Because I know I've seen footages of him when he's in goals and he could be, you know, any goalkeeper. I mean, I've, I've done it myself. I used to be a goalkeeper and I used to let off the steam just being angry all the time and the passion comes out. So what was yeah. your responses and reactions from Vinnie Jones, Southall and Bobby Gold himself? Well, I think first and foremost... We, I remember being in the hotel and I, I gotta be honest, I'm not, it, it's still, it's vague because obviously it was 97, so it's, what is it, 23 years ago. But if I remember rightly, we had a vote who was to be captain that night at dinner the night before. And I think everyone voted for Gary Speed to be the captain because he was obviously, you know, the, coming through and the next in line and the next big thing. And uh, and then I think it was a case of, I think Bobby had announced that it was Vinnie Jones. It was like, oh, right. So whether the vote, you know, had, had gone in favour of Vinnie or not, I don't know. I, I, I got to be honest, I voted for Gary Speed. Uh, but that was sort of how it come about. I don't think it was a decision made purely by Bobby. I think it was the consensus of the players. But then I think the consensus was, well, I'm not sure whether... Vinny has got all the votes. So we didn't, you know, we were a bit unsure. In terms of after the game, uh, I think obviously we we've been battered seven, but everyone know everyone knew that it could have been. I mean, seven is embarrassing, you know, and, and I remember being on a bench and I remember walking back into the change rooms and thinking, oh my God. I mean, I've got told to warm up with about 15, 20 minutes to go. And I've got to be honest, it was probably the only one of the times in football that I've actually thought, I'm not sure whether I want to go on here. They just, I, I don't think I'd have had a kick anyway in 20 minutes, but they were just unbelievable. And I think after the game, Nev came in and everyone was just sort of flabbergasted about the result. I mean, it, it wasn't expected. We knew that they were a really, really good team, but I'm not sure whether it was that we were that bad. I just think on the night, they were just unbelievable. And, and obviously Welsh football in those days wasn't as sort of prominent as it is now. We had great players, don't get me wrong, you know, the likes of Rush and Saunders and Mark Hughes, etc. But I don't think as a team, we were, we were maybe as together, or from looking out from the, from the outside, looking from the outside, if you like, as together as what, the Welsh team has been over the last couple of years. Yeah, but it was it was just one of them sort of surreal moments because I I, I can still see Nev now making about fifteen saves and thinking how's he saved that? How's he saved this? And we were on the bench and just looking and thinking, you know, Nev was a world class keeper, but and in my opinion, probably one of the best in the world at the time. But it was just it was just a surreal moment because we conceded seven. <laughs> you know, it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, it's the power of the moustache, it is. That was, that was it. <laughs> it could have been, yeah, it could have been. But what a player, you know, he was he was just unbelievable. And I mean, I've obviously, I've, I've worked with good, good keepers, you know, the likes of Grobola, etc. But he was just on a different level now. Yeah. He was scary. I've got a lot of respect and time for Neville Salto because I'll, I'll say this very quickly with a quick story that um, I remember, this is going back a few years ago when uh, Gary Speed passed away, bless us all, and, um, and I think it was around about the time where Neville Salto just released his autobiography and um, 
the Bin Man uh, Chronicles, and it was, uh, and he was doing a book signing at Waterstones in Cardiff, and it yeah. was at the, it was I think it was Wales v Belgium at the same day, so it okay. kind of made made sense. And I only just started sixth form, and my dad, being a big Everton fan, I thought, right, I've I've already got the stuff. I'm, I'm going to buy the book because Waterstones are very fickle. They, they don't want you coming in having, you know, if it was a footballer, they don't want you with shirts. They want you with the book. Um, yeah. So. I bought it all, I got it all ready, and then I thought, hang on a minute, I can't leave my dad out of this. And uh, and luckily he wasn't working. I said, Dad, come on, let's go. And we all went, and I was so flabbergasted because literally it was in the afternoon. The game was only until a quarter to eight in the, in the night, but I mean, this mm-hmm. was around about two o'clock. And luckily I had I just skipped six form. I said, no, I ain't going. <laughs> and uh, and we went in, there was no one there, and Southport Nev was just sat there on his own. I'm thinking, this is a Welsh legend, and no one, probably a few people came early. I, I don't know, but yeah. when I came in, it was just empty. Yeah. I felt bad, so we just went over. And my dad just, I mean, he's a talkative person like I am, but he just yeah. froze. He just, he saw, oh my yeah. God, that, that's my hero. And I'm yeah. there doing all the time, <laughs> doing all the talking and that. And we sat, and we sat there. He said, he went, what are you guys doing? You know, we've got nothing to do all day. He went, pick a seat. And if one of those Waterstones starts complaining, I'll tell him to fuck off. I yeah. was thinking, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, we just sat there. Yeah. And one of the Waterstones went to say something and he just went, no. And, you know, when we just had a nice chat. And I thought, what yeah. a guy. He didn't have to do that, but he did it. And, oh, he was brilliant. He was and, really down to earth. Yeah. And, I, and he was there. And I met him twice. And it was a, a second time was at uh, a Comic-Con. And uh, it was him, John Hartson, it was Leighton James, it was Alan Curtis and Terry Yorath. And Neville was sat on the very end. And uh, normally with Comic-Cons, you have someone with you to sign the autographs and that. And he was not there. And I went over and she said, hello, blah, 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 blah. Because I just bought the book. I said, I loved it. I, and he said, oh, what are you doing now? And he went, I recognize you. He went, do you want to sit down again? Let's have a nice chat. I went, oh, do you mind? He went, no, just... Come on, bear in mind, I had a friend with me who doesn't know football, doesn't know who yeah. this person is. Yeah. And she stood there going, and we were there for another hour just chatting away. And this was around about the time where Cardiff were um, in the Premier League and Everton game was a couple of, no, it happened a few, uh, just a week after or something like that. Yeah. And it just made perfect sense. And it was brilliant, yeah. but so engaging, so yeah. chatty, but so political no, now with it on Twitter. <laughs> I was like, oh. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, I've, I've lost touch with Neb. I haven't spoke to Neb for a good couple of years. But I do I do follow him on Twitter and stuff. And, uh, you know, he's, he's another legend of our football, isn't he? You know, and probably one of the best keepers to ever play. I play, play the game, in my opinion. You know? um, worth a lot of money now. Oh, yeah. Uh, but... For for Neville Southall, just to you know, I will never ever forget. You know, yeah. just he is a he is a, the man of the people. He's a people's yeah. person. Oh, and he is. Yeah, yeah. And I, is. I'll never forget that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, going on to now, where uh, you were coming out of Liverpool, but you spent yeah. loan on uh, a crew and Tramia, which you you go on to uh, yeah go on to play for. But when you went back on loan twice for Wrexham. Did you feel uh, it's a relief because I'm going home uh, for a bit and... Yeah, I mean, obviously I've been been on loan at Crew for probably four or five games. I didn't really enjoy it at Crew because it was it was a little bit... So Liverpool's training every day was always the same and it was a warm-up, it was a five-a-side and then you would do sprints. 
and that was every single day, no, no matter what. There would be a variation to the games. Uh, there would be a variation to the warm-up. There wasn't a great deal of coaching that went on at Liverpool, if I'm being honest. You know, there was, obviously, we had Graham Souness and Roy Evans, but we had the likes of Ronnie Moran, Sammy Lee, Phil Thompson, but didn't really do any of the tactical work. But as soon as I went to crew, it was every day was tactical. It was, there was never a five-a-side. So I'd gone from being two years at Liverpool playing five-a-sides every day to Dario Gradi at crew, who just wanted a coach. And looking back at it now, he was right in the way that he wanted to do things, Dario, in terms of and, and his record, you know, his second to none in terms of the players he developed. But there was never any sort of enjoyment. Whereas Liverpool was great fun, but you always had to work. And if you didn't, Ronnie Moran would would go off his head, if you like. But at crew, it was always just it was just sort of coaching and it was monotonous every single day, hour and a half of coaching, coaching, coaching. And we and by the Friday, I don't know whether it was by design, by the Friday, you were desperate for a game of football. So on a Saturday, it was a bit of a release to go and play football. You, it was just, you were sort of restricted all the time. So I didn't really enjoy my time on loan at Crew. Uh, and when I went back on loan to Wrexham, it was just, just like being home. You know, the same staff were there. So Brian, uh, Joey, uh, Kev Reeves was still there. My two U team coaches, so Brian Prandall and Idris Price, were still there. Cliff Sear uh, was still there, and it was just it just felt like being at home. And I really enjoyed it. I really my first spell, I went back there. I can't I can't remember figures if I'm being honest of, of what goals I scored, but I think I played eight, and I think I got at least one in every two games, something like that. I'm not sure. Uh, and then the second time that I went back was sort of towards the end of my Liverpool career. I think it would have been around 96, 97. And I remember doing okay again, same staff, really enjoyed it, hometown club, five minutes away from my house. And then I had an opportunity to sign at Wrexham. So Brian called me and he said, there's this opportunity if you want to sign. He said, but I need an answer today. I'd already had offers from four or five of the clubs uh, who, I, who I could have signed for. And I just felt at the time that, not that it was a big backward step, but I felt I was better than coming back from uh, a Premier League club and learning so much in five years. I thought if I ended up coming back to Wrexham, which I think were League One at the time, it would then take me a while to maybe 12, 18 months to get back into that sort of level. So I thought I need to be realistically at a championship club. Or my other thought was I maybe go abroad because at the time the Bosman rule had come into it and you could go on, go abroad on a free. So it didn't really materialise and, and probably loads of Wrexham fans would say, thank God it didn't because on the back of it, they signed Gary Bennett. And Gary Bennett obviously went on to be a massive club legend alongside Stevie Watkin. He scored loads of goals. They got promotion. And for me, obviously, it, it was a buzz for me as well that obviously I, I didn't end up signing there, but I knew that the club was still going from strength to strength and I could still follow them and still support them. 
and obviously they were doing very well as well. And, and you look at the leagues going back during that era, the likes of Cardiff and Swansea were sort of rated second and third clubs in Wales, and Wrexham was the top club. Obviously, it's changed massively over the last sort of 10, 15 years. But, you know, hopefully one day, you know, Wrexham will, will wake up from their slumber, if you like, and, and get back to where I believe they should be. Do you know when you went to Tramia Rovers, uh, I mean, around about this time, I've looked at the, the, the club records and that, and, you know, yeah. you never really left sort of the, the Flintshire or the, the north uh, yeah. west of uh, England, you know, so you just stuck yeah. around. Uh, when yeah. you went to Tramia, uh, what, what was that like for you for Tramia? Uh, was it a nice club to play for? Or yeah. about your time, really? Yeah, I mean, I, I had the opportunity when I left Liverpool, so I'd been there for five years, and Roy Evans had offered me a new two-year contract, uh, and I just felt that it was the year that Gerard Houllier, we knew, was coming in in the summer, and I just felt that I, I couldn't break into the team no matter what. So when I first went there, it was Ian Bush. Then it was Robbie Fowler who had broken through when I was trying to break through as well. And then there was a young lad called Michael Owen, who obviously is a good mate of mine now, uh, was coming through as well. So I just felt, and I knew in my sort of, or even though I had belief in my own ability, I knew that Michael Owen was going to be a world star. And I thought, I can't compete at that level. And, I, and you know, and there's many players who, you know, couldn't compete. And I just thought it would be the right time to leave. So I said, no, I, I want to go and play first team football. I had a couple of offers. I had an offer from uh, Bruges in Belgium, Herenveen in, in Holland. I could have gone up to Scotland and played at Hibernian. I could have gone to Norwich, Ipswich were interested, and also Tranmere. And I'd been on loan at Tranmere for, 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 for about two months, I think, prior to the end of the season. I'd scored something like six in eight games. I just got a really good feel for the club. John Aldridge was obviously an ex-Liverpool player and he sold the club to me, you know, he didn't need to sell it much because the fans were fantastic and I think the, sand, the, the fans put a petition together to keep me there and presented it to me at the end of the, of the, the season and there was like thousands and I'm thinking, hell, they actually want me to stay and it sort of swayed me, you know, I, I was tempted to go abroad, i got to be honest, but I didn't and, and I chose to go to Tranmere and I would say probably for the first 12 months was the was probably the most I've ever enjoyed my football over a length spell, over a length of time. You know, obviously enjoyed my time at Wrexham, but they were in sort of short bursts. Whereas Tranmere was the first 12 months were fantastic. I played up front with David Kelly, uh, Irish international. We had a great team. You know, we just missed out on the playoffs. But it was just the, the feel that you got from the club Everyone was in it together. You know, we had Andy Thorne, who was, you know, and again, he's a good mate of mine that was just up the road and we, we still meet. Uh, Ex-Crazy Gang member. And it was just a feel that, and again, when I went on the pitch, I just thought, well, Andy Thorne's behind me. If I do anything on the pitch, then he's, he's got my back. And it was the same with, with all the players there. It was a good mix of youth. We had the likes of Alan Marn, Jason Kumas was coming through. And we had a good bit of experience as well. And it just, it was a really good fit. And while things were going really well, you know, and, and I was scoring goals, it was great. But my second season, not so much so. Had a bit of a fallout with the manager. 
Uh, I had an agent at the time who tried to sell me behind my back uh, to Bradford. Oh, fair And uh, I didn't know about this. We, we were going into the first away game of the season at Wolves and I'd done everything pre-season, played in every first-team game pre-season, named the team on the Thursday and I'm playing. And then on the Saturday, turn up at Molyneux at quarter to two and he said, just one change to the team. He said, Lee, you're not playing. He said, uh, you're not involved today. And I was obviously a bit curious and I was like, well, tell me why. He said, no, come and see me Monday. And the long and short of it was that uh, the agent and the chairman of Tranmere had done a deal with Bradford City and the manager didn't know anything about it until probably about half an hour before the first game of the season. He thought I was going behind his back. I had no intention of going anywhere. I'd had a great first season at Tranmere. I wanted to stay at Tranmere and, you know, I was really happy. I was obviously going to start the second season. And uh, and it's things sort of turned sour from there, really. I did play a few games that season, but not as many as I'd have liked. And sort of, and again, picked up a few injuries, uh, you know, muscle injuries again. I think I had a knee operation or I had two knee operations that year, torn cartilage um, on my left knee. And then I had to go back in to have it redone. So I missed a good chunk of the second season and never really sort of got back into favour then with, with the manager. Uh, and it led to us, well, led to me leaving in, the, in my third season and then going up to Barnsley. Speaking of Barnsley, uh, it's in the early 2000s now and uh, uh, you weren't going to be there alone because there was another Welsh international player that was there uh, who's already made a name for himself. It was Darren Barnard and... Uh, yeah. Uh, but what was your time like at, at Barnsley and also because you, you left around about the same time as Darren as well because he was yeah. he left in 2002 and I think you left in about the same year That's as well so, uh, yeah. so what was it like to play with him and also what was yeah. it like just to be at Barnsley yeah I mean Barnsley is a lovely club you know it's a big club it's played in the Premier League you know and, and again it gave me a similar feel when I got there to Wrexham a really, real sort of close-knit family club, you know, and it was one of them, you know, you'd go into the club shop and they would ask about your family, you would bump into a director in the corridor and they were asking how you were, etc. And I made the transition, really, you know, Barnsley was, for me, sort of two and a half hours away. I got flat, I ended up getting a flat in Barnsley. Uh, so, and the, and the first, obviously, Dave Bassett was my first manager up there and really looked after me and probably one of the best man managers I've ever worked for. Uh, and he used to say to me, he said, listen, he said, I know you're two hours away. He said, but what I'm going to say to you is, if you play for me on a Saturday and you do well and you score, he said, you don't have to come until Thursday. He said, then you'll train Thursday, train Friday, play Saturday, and we'll just keep the cycle going. He said, but as soon as you drop below a level, then obviously I'll get you in every day. So that was a big carrot because every day for me was a two and a half hour commute or a five hour round trip. I did have a flat up there, but at the time I'd had a, my first, my first born, my eldest now. And it was at a time where I didn't want to miss out on him growing up. So I would drive over two and a half hours. I would leave sometimes in the morning at sort of four o'clock. I'd get to my flat for sort of six o'clock because there was no traffic. I'd go to bed six o'clock till nine o'clock and then 
I'd go into training and drive home after. And that was sort of my cycle every, every sort of day for the first couple of months. I started really well, scored a couple of goals. And, and Harry, Harry Bassett was brilliant. And he said, listen, you don't have to come in, etc., which was great. Uh, but then he left after about six months. Change of manager, Nigel Spatman came in. And again, he was fine. Sort of, I was in and out of the team, etc. He left after about another 12 months, I think it was. And, and the manager, Steve Parkin, came in. And I knew from day one, really, that my face didn't fit with him. Uh, he sort of did everything. I still had 18 months left on my contract. I'd signed a three-year contract. And he did everything to force me out. You know, getting me into training when the lads weren't training. All that kind of stuff. How, how, how you would treat a kid. And I knocked on his door and said, at the end of the day, I'm not a kid. I've been a pro for the last sort of 15 odd years. You can't treat me like this, etc. And we sort of parted ways mutually and then ended up going back to Wrexham. But it was a similar sort of period, as you say, to Darren Bernard. I mean, what a bond he had on the left foot. I mean, he, he used to score some goals in training. He was just, he didn't have the best, didn't have, you know, lightning pace. But he always seemed to get a yard off, you know, and get his shots off or his crosses in. And, uh, and a really, really good lad as well. You know, obviously he'd, he'd been at the likes of Chelsea, etc. He played at big clubs. But uh, again, as I said before, it was like a, a family feel, if you like. You know, we were all mucked in together. And, and I enjoyed it, you know, the first sort of... Definitely two, two years I was there, I enjoyed it. The last probably four or five months was probably the worst time in my career, if I'm being honest. Yeah, you sorry then, you cut off a bit then, it was the signal, but you come back to me now, but yeah. it's all good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but um, going on to Wrexham then, did you feel that when you went back to Wrexham, did you feel that this this is it now, I, I'm going to stay with Wrexham to the end of my career, I'm just going to sail off into the sunset with my hometown club, and, you know, like the traditional football way to do it. Yeah, so it sort of did have that feel about it. And again, Joey was instrumental in getting me back to Wrexham. I'd, I'd finished playing at, at Barnsley uh, and I'd, Joey had actually phoned me up about a week before I'd left Barnsley. And, uh, and he said, would you be interested in coming back? Dennis Smith has obviously took over. Uh, he's trying to build a team. We're struggling near the bottom of the league at the moment, but he's trying to build a team. It looks like we probably will get relegated. He said, but he's trying to build a team ready for next season to bounce straight back. So I think there was around sort of five games left of the season. And I said, yeah, well, I mean, I've got to be honest, I, I didn't have many options. I had two or three, but one was again up in Scotland, not one that I really fancied. And I just thought to myself, I've done two years of travelling. As I mentioned, my young, well, my eldest now was growing up. So I thought Wrexham's a great fit. I went back. I think I'd played three or four games. I'd ended up playing against Cambridge on the last day of the season. We win 5-0. I score five goals. And we get relegated on the same day. So really, really bittersweet. And then Dennis had offered me a contract in the summer. Two-year contract. Uh, he said, do you want it? And I, no hesitation at all. I said, yeah. I said, I want to get the club back to where I believe it should be. And I said, and push on. And he said, well, I'm going to be bringing in Chris Armstrong as well. Obviously, Chris, I'd grown up playing with Chris anyway. When I was an apprentice, he was in the first team when I first broke into the into Repsom. 
then he went off to, I think it was Millwall. Uh, so I obviously knew Chris as well. He brought in Crystal Welling, another Welshman. And there was also the likes of, I think, Hector Sam, Carlos Edwards, Dennis Lawrence, the Trinidadians. And we had the likes of Darren Ferguson and Brian Carey. So for me, I looked at the squad and thought, you know, the squad's going places. I was fighting up front with the likes of, as well, Lee Trundle, Andy Morrell. And, uh, and we had a really good season. You know, we ended up getting back, promoted back into the league. And, uh, and again, I played in the second part of the season. And yeah, I, I had a few injuries again. But I thought to myself, I've done enough to warrant another contract. And then sort of back end of, I think it was end of March, March time, Dennis Smith had called me in and said, listen, he said, I'm not sure what your plans are to carry on playing. I was 32 at the time. And I said, well, I still want to play. He said, well, he said, there's not going to be a contract here for you. He said, we're going to look to extend one of the other players. We're only going to go with three forwards next year, he said, instead of four, because I want to bring in another midfielder. So he said, unfortunately, he said, you're the only forward whose contract's up. So I was like... Oh, right, okay. So I remember driving out of the, the training ground that day feeling really, really gutted and deflated because I thought, what you, like you just said, I thought, you know what, I'll probably stay here and do a year-to-year contract until I'm 34, 35, and then look to go into coaching, which is what you know I plan to do. So at 32, I was a little bit gutted, if you like, uh, I had a couple of again opportunities. I could have gone to Carlisle. I had another opportunity to go back up to Scotland, another opportunity to go to York. And I just thought at the time, I, I don't want to do it. I traveled back to, to Barnsley. I'd seen the end of my career at ideally being at Wrexham. And I just thought to myself, I could go and carry on playing for two or three years at a club that I probably wouldn't enjoy. Or do I go down the route now of looking to go into the coaching element? And my ambition was to always be a coach uh, at the back end of my career, working at the Centre of Excellence at Wrexham for the two years I went back there. So I thought I'd make, make a decision. I ended up going to play semi-pro up at Carnarvon and Kevin Druids. I thought I'd keep ticking over, keep myself fit, but I'll go down the coaching route. And, and that's, that's what happened. You know when you went to uh, Pristatin, because uh, yeah. there was a time you went to Pristatin, did you, um, was you part of the Welsh Cup winning squads? Yeah, so, so Pristatin time, is a t- I'm involved back at Pristatin now with Neil, with Neil Gibson. So obviously Neil Gibson, the manager, and myself were teammates at Tranmere, and that's how I know Gibbo. And uh, at the time, uh, about two years prior to the Welsh Cup, I'd got my pro licence and Gibbo would phone me up sort of midway through the Welsh Cup season that we ended up winning and said, would you like to come on board with me uh, as like a director of football? He said, I'll make no bones about it. He said, I'm just going through my A licence now, but we need a pro licence holder. He said, you know, you'll have an input into team selection. He said, obviously, I'm the manager. He said, but I'll make the final decision. He said, but I'd like your input, etc. Do this some coaching. And I just felt, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's another sort of step, if you like, or, you know, to coach senior football, senior footballers, if you like. So, ended up going in, and we ended up winning the Welsh Cup that year. Uh, in 2013, we, wasn't it? 
2013, and then yeah. obviously, so we won the Welsh Cup at the. Again, it was extra special because it was a race course. We beat Bangor City, yeah, uh, you know, and and it was it was a great feeling. It was it was a, a little bit. We were underdogs on the day. No one expected us to win, and and yeah, I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm still involved. We went went into Europe the year after uh, Lithuania, and then we beat uh, sorry, we beat Metalards, I think it was. And then we, or Ludogrets, I think it was, and then we played in Rijeka against the Croatian team, and we ended up getting beat 2-0 at home, if I remember rightly, up at Rill. And then we went over to Croatia and got beat 5-0. Uh, but it was no sort of disgrace, because I think that year they ended up getting into the quarterfinals of the Europa Cup. So, and I think we, we, was, we were talking after the game, their centre forward was valued at around 28 million that night. Yeah. I, think scored, I think he'd scored three. Uh, so it was a good journey and, and it's great. I, I've, I've been back there. I was back there last year to coach. Uh, we won the league by 16 points and then ended up not getting promoted because of a TV gantry. Yeah. So, uh I remember, I do remember very well about your Welsh Cup because yes. uh, semi-final, Latham Park, Barry won, Prestatin two. Prestatin two, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. I was yeah. there and you made me cry. You Prestatin. It was a red hot, I remember it being a red hot day as well, wasn't it? it was oh, don't. I, I remember because around about that time in 2013, um, the, the problems were there, but the supporters and everything were yeah. doing their best. And people, you know, like Gavin Chesterfield and I were doing their input. Yeah. But, it, but after that Welsh Cup semi-final, it, it, it seemed a bit special because we were amateurs. We're not no longer semi yeah. we We weren't even labelled as semi-pros or professionals. We were labelled as, labeled as amateurs. And yeah. I, I just remember going to Latham Park and I was so confident, but at the time nervous, because I looked into the squad uh, the likes of you there, you know, coaching, and you had yeah. a couple of players that had a professional background, so it was a bit, oh, this is a bit overwhelming, you know, and um, yeah. and then yeah. you sons of bitches, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was two one on the day, wasn't it? It, it was two one because I remember uh, it was it was ironic because Deutsch Christian Deutsch left. Uh, I think yeah. he helped us get to the Welsh Cup semi final part of the squad. But I remember. You scored, but then a minute later, TJ Nagy, our TJ Nagy scored then yeah. just a minute afterwards. And we thought, hang on a minute, we've got a game here. Yeah. Um, but then you guys scored and uh, I, I don't know why. It, it wasn't in the final minute. I think it was somewhere in the second half. Yeah, but second I, half. I, I, I just remember, <clears throat> excuse me, I just remember just sliding on the, uh, <laughs> on the stand and I just had my, and I was crying. I I, I, yeah. see him there. I was in tears because I thought we yeah, could have done that. But I, I was so glad. But I, I look back now. I was so glad we didn't get to the final because um, the thing that happened where we got removed from the league with two yeah. games left to play, and then the FAW court case happened. So in hindsight, it was I was actually glad. Yeah, that we didn't yeah. Win it. So yeah. I'm not going to hate you that. <laughs> no, I'm not going to hate you that much. But oh man, it, it, it was. It's one of my top five most memorable games because I mean the. the it was a beautiful day for football. Put it that way. Yeah. It was a nice. Beautiful yeah, day. yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. So, um, so how how do you look back on your career as a as a footballer? Do you think it was a roller coaster? Do you think it was enjoyable? How would you sum it? Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, it was something I'd always wanted to be from an early age. I, you know, I didn't do great in school, and it was always all I ever wanted to do was play football. From the time you know. 
from as young as I can basically remember. Remember going into the park with my dad uh, at Rosey in Wrexham, which again is probably a quarter of a mile from from the football ground. You could actually see the floodlights from the park that we used to play in. And my dad used to used to play football with me from sort of he'd take me to the park on a Sunday morning at nine o'clock, and we'd still be there nine o'clock at night in the summer. It would just be relentless, and you don't see it now, which is a shame. You know, you don't see see much of that anyway. Uh, but obviously, society's changed, and it was yeah, it was just all I'd ever wanted to be, and to to obviously realise your dream. My first dream was obviously to to play for Repton. You know, I, I, I'd say go back to the first game that I watched Repton meet Shrewsbury. I just thought I'd love to be able to play on that pitch. Uh, first time I'd ever seen stands, you know, and on the on the crowd shouting, and and it was just like wow, I just want to be a footballer. Made it even more so, even at such a young age. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, look, I do I have any any regrets of of my career? Probably, maybe one or two. I think at times, and certainly the first six months, as I may, mentioned before, I could have worked harder. You know, certainly at Liverpool. You know, there were times where I sort of took my eye off the ball and thought, well, I'm at Liverpool now, so I'm fine and I've made it. The, that actually is nothing, you know. Getting to Liverpool is probably the, not, not the easiest part, but the easiest part of the journey, you know, because every day at Liverpool, no matter what I did, was never, ever good enough. And, you know, I've, I've, I've mentioned this story to loads and loads of people. And... Uh, I just recall one one night playing for the reserves. I played, we played against Leeds United, last game of the reserve season, and we needed to win the win the game to win the league, which isn't a big thing for Liverpool Football Club because they used to win the reserve league every week, every, sorry, every year. But that particular night, there was Eric Cantona played for Leeds just before he joined United, John Lukic, Steve Hodge, all the old sort of Leeds regulars, if you like, Gordon Strachan. And I remember playing uh, at Anfield, and it was Robbie Fowler's debut in the reserves. So me and Robbie were up front. So cut a long story short, we win the game 7-2. I score four and Robbie scores three. So we come in after the game, we've won the league. Sammy Lee is the reserve manager at the time. Well done, lads, brilliant, you know, good season, etc. And the next thing, the door flies open and it's Ronnie Moran. And he's, uh, it looks like, you know, he, he's absolutely raging. And I'm thinking, well, what's up with Ronnie? So he, he's come into the change room and he said, well done, lads, like that. And then he pointed at me and he said, what are you smiling at? And I was like, what do you mean? And his name, and they used to call him Bugsy. And I said, what do you mean, Bugsy? He went, how many chances did you have tonight? So I said, oh, six or seven. And he says to Robbie, how many chances have you had tonight? And Robbie went, yeah, five or six. He went, well, scoring four and scoring three isn't good enough for Liverpool Football Club, son. He said, so you two in the morning are doing shooting with me. The rest of you can have the morning off. He said, but you two are in with me doing shooting in the morning. And at the time, my head is just like, oh, my God, I can't do anything right at this football club, no matter what. And I looked at I looked at it at the time and thought, you know what, it's just this is just a waste of time. But it's actually a good lesson because I look back at it now and I think, you know what, how right he was. And you might think, well, that's a bit mad. But 
a club like Liverpool, if you do have four chances, then you've got to score four because the pressure is that you've got to be the best. You know, they've been Europe, European Cup winners. Ian Rush had scored 40-odd goals or what it was that season. And you look at it, if you get that amount, that amount of chances, then you've got to score that many goals. And that's the sort of philosophy I have taken into my coaching that, you know, if you score one in four chances, it isn't good enough. You should be more clinical. And at the time, because every single day was like that, you used to get hit on the head with a stick every day. You know, you do well in training, come off the training ground and think, oh, I've had a good training session. And someone would be there and go, ah, you didn't train great today, you son. You need to work harder than that. But they were always trying to keep your head at a level. You know, they never wanted you to get above yourself. And I look back on it now and think, do you know what, they were right. Or certainly Ronnie Moran was right. But sometimes you do need that arm round you as well. Because you have different characters in football. So... I don't regret anything of it because I learned so much. Yeah, I had good times, I had bad times, I had loads of injuries, you know, being in the gym, recovering, being on an operating table, lying in the bed after, recovering and thinking, oh, my career's finished. You know, you get ups and downs, but I wouldn't swap it for the world, you know. My only sort of regret is that you can't go on playing for longer. And it would have been really nice if it had been 20 years later because now I'd never have to work again. But that's life, you know. You've got, I've just got to keep working and, and just keep doing what we're doing. Well, Lee, thank you so much for coming on the Dragon's Voice podcast to talk about your career and to go into so many stories. It's really interesting, but no the, this is what I mean. Uh, I, I always want to know from, not just from Cardiff or Swansea players, but from Wrexham, from Newport and everything, you know, and it's really exciting to yeah. hear different stories altogether. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. No worries at all. Anytime. So, guys, thank you for tuning in to the Dragon's Voice podcast. And again, thank you, Lee, for coming on the show. And I hope you guys have really enjoyed it as much as I have, you know. And it's, it's uh, just to let you guys know that uh, it does take a lot of hard work, you know, to, to get these uh, podcasts going because, you know, uh, there's no funding with this podcast at all. There's, there's nothing. Um, I, I've got no money in the – well, I've got money in the bank. That's a lie. But, uh, <laughs> but it's just been – it's always trying to be cheeky. Like I did with Lee, just to get to get on the show, and uh, but it's just for you guys, and it's for Welsh football, just to get it out there. So I'm I'm glad uh, if you're watching this, I'm glad you're enjoying it and still following. So guys, I just want to say thank you for supporting the Dragons Voice podcast. Just uh, leave a like, share, and subscribe. Do your thing, and I don't worry, I'll be back uh, with another episode. So thank you for tuning in. I've been your host, Shirley Steens, and I'll see you all very soon. Take care.